Take your Bible then and turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read the first nine verses. Luke chapter 13. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. For those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word today. I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God, that we allow the Spirit of God, who is the author of this blessed book, to teach us, to instruct us, to convict us. And may you be glorified, may the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up, may we be drawn to him. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message simply, Except Ye Repent. In the last 40 years or so, I would say, give or take a few years, um, last 40 years or so with the church growth movement, using salesman-like techniques promoted, like, promoted by men like John R. Rice and Jack Howes and Curtis Hudson and others, continued even this day, by the soil lord, Shelton Smith, and prominent independent Baptists like Clarence Sexton of Crown College, Paul Chapel, West Coast Baptist College, and others, to simply get people to receive Christ, to pray a prayer, you know, we're asking him into your heart. By the way, those things aren't, you know, the Bible does say that we need to receive him, but praying a prayer is not found in the Bible. You show me where somebody got saved praying a prayer in the Bible. Or asked him into your heart. That's not found in the Bible either. No, you believe in your heart. Ask him in your heart. It's, not, it's kind of confusing. But anyway, all these things, without a clear understanding of what salvation really is. It is not just a ticket to the pearly city. It means to repent. Salvation is to repent. It's to change your attitude, your life, your purpose in life. It is a change of your course or your direction. So, and of course, most of these men these that are prominent in a lot of independent Baptist circles today teach that repentance is simply a change of mind. It simply means to change from Unbelief to belief. 
That's what they say. Jack Owls taught that. Bob Gray, uh, Kurt Sutson, and others. And Sheldon Smith's following the same thing. They, just, they simply say it means to change from belief to unbelief. That's repentance. And they use the word repentance. But they don't properly define it. So this morning I want to look at three things. First of all, a proper definition of repentance. Then I have persons in need of repentance. And then the patience of the Lord with the sinners. First of all, a proper definition of repentance. And, and again, in this passage here, uh, let me read it again. It says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, we don't know for sure what this was or whom this was referring to, although over in Acts chapter 5, you remember Gamaliel, in his defense of the disciples, Peter and John in particular, uh, when the Sanhedrin had arrested them for preaching the gospel and they were, they were considering putting them to death, and he said, you better take heed what you do to these men. And he gave reference to the fact that before, on two different occasions, there had been one, men who had risen up and had gathered a falling, and one of them was this Judas of Galilee. And many think that's what is referenced here, uh, who had a following, and and. and Evidently, in they, while they were in the temple offering sacrifices, Pilate had ordered them to be put to death because they were, they were uh, stirring an uprising against the Roman government. But anyway, so that's what it's referring to here. And so there were, there were those present that told, were telling Jesus this, and Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, and why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So I believe in properly interpreting this passage that we have before us, we'd have to come to the conclusion, through simple and plain sense, that the Lord expects a change or some evidence of repentance. Um. And it's the parable, and that's the purpose of the parable that he gives in verses 6 through 9. You know, and he comes to this fig tree expecting fruit. He expects fruit. James Stewart said this, quote, Repentance is one threefold action in the understanding, knowledge of sin, in the feelings, pain and grief, in the will, a change of mind and turning around. Harry Ironside in his commentary in, in the Gospel of Luke said this, quote, Repentance is a change of mind which results in a complete change of attitude. When a man who has been living in sin and utter indifference to God confesses his sin and judges his wickedness and earnestly seeks to be delivered from it, when he is determined to walk not in his old ways or live as he formerly lived, 
but turns to God and he has spurned and puts his trust in the Savior he has provided. This is genuine repentance, unquote. You know, and the Bible bears this out over and over again. For example, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, and you know, what these are saying here, there is, there is evidence, there will be evidence of true repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist expected evidence from those who repented. It's very evident here for us in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, it says in verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his, hair, uh, had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. When we saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So John the Baptist, he was looking for some evidence that these people had actually repented. In other words, a change in their attitudes toward God and man, a change in their life. But they were still clinging to the promises and the and the their old their Old Testament scriptures and the and the and their their laws and of course they'd corrupt the, the law of God. But they were still clinging to that as as to their salvation. And and uh, John says, "Look, don't say you have Abraham to your father." He's, in fact, Jesus said to him, "If you if Abraham was your father, you would love me, for he rejoiced to see my day." In chapter 4, verse 17 through 20, Jesus preached the same thing. says, chapter 4, verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now notice what happens. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, Jesus said in verse 17, repent. And to repent means to change your mind, change your course. What did Peter and Andrew do? They changed their course. They didn't just change their minds. They changed their course. You see, what they did changed their the course of the rest of their life. So did James and John. Let's read on. Verse 21. Going on from thence, he saw two other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship with their and their father and followed him. So these people, these, these disciples had repented and they changed their course. Fruits, meat for repentance. The word meat means befitting or corresponding to. 
In other words, their actions corresponded what went on in their minds. You know, a lot of people have knowledge. They know certain things. They know there's a Jesus Christ. They may know He's coming again, but it doesn't correspond. It doesn't result in corresponding actions. It doesn't change their life. They know, you know maybe they, he, he died, but, but they don't apply it to their own life and trusting Him as their Lord and Savior. No, these men, they heard the Word of God and their, their actions corresponded. They repented. That's what repentance is. In Acts chapter 26, verse 20, Paul, and I think this is before Agrippa, he said, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. In other words, works that are fitting or corresponding to. Uh, the word repent actually means, according to the Greek lexicon, to change one's mind for the better, Hardly to men with abhorrence of past sins. So biblical repentance then is to change of mind that gives evidence with a change of actions. A change of actions. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Old things are become new. So again there you see a change of course, a change of action. In Acts chapter 11, verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned to the Lord. In other words, they turned or they repented. They changed their direction. They changed their course. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of the Thessalonian believers, Paul said, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols. So they turned away from their idols and they turned to God. What did they do? They changed their direction. They changed their course. They changed their life. Serve the living and true God. So repentance then is a change of mind that gives action with a change of direction. Change of direction. So that's a proper definition of repentance. It's not just simply changing from unbelief to belief. I know a lot of people that believe in God that are not saved. And you do too. In other words, they know. Judas believed in God. You know, Catholics believe in God. Mormons believe in God. That doesn't save them. A lot of people in Baptist churches believe in God, but they're not saved. Why? Because they haven't repented of their sin. They don't have a proper understanding of the righteousness and the holiness of God and their sinful condition. So, so it means to, to change your mind that gives evidence by a change of action. Secondly, I want you to notice the persons in need of repentance. And verses, uh, I want to look at several things here about this. First of all, some, some have this false idea that bad things happen to bad people. And if bad things happen to you, then it's, it's because you're bad. But notice again what Jesus said here in verses 1 through 5. They were present at that season, some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with her sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, 
Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. Nay. That's not true. What he's saying is that's not true. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So, you know, these Galileans, of course, as I mentioned, were maybe, maybe the ones referred to in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, or these innocent victims of a falling tower, you know, a lot of these people that came uh, reporting this to Jesus evidently had this idea that, that, oh, these people must have been really wicked. These people from Galilee must have been really wicked. That's why, that's why they got killed. And I don't know about those people at the Tower of Siloam. And many commentators believe the Tower of Siloam was at the pool of Bethsaida where, remember, the, where the lame man was and, and, you know, they'd wait for the moving of the water and when the first one to get into the water would be healed. But anyway, so there was a lot of handicapped people there and, and, and probably some of them got killed. This tower fell over. Innocent victims of a falling tower. So they must have been really bad people to suffer such things. That's what the mindset here. But you know, even the disciples had this mindset. You remember in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, there was a blind man, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin this man or his parents? That he was born blind. I mean, he's blind. There must have been some reason for this blindness. He must, must have been some wickedness somewhere along the way that this guy's blind. And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You know, if you're the victim of some crime or suffer some debilitating disease, you know, some people think, well, you must be more evil than I. Or, some people have this idea that, you know, I haven't suffered such things because I'm a good person. And what Jesus is telling us here, that is not true. That is not the case. Matthew Henry said this in his commentary, quote, Whether it make for us or against us, we must abide by this rule, that we cannot judge of men's sins by their suffering in this world, for many are thrown into the furnace as gold to be purified, not as dross and chaff to be consumed. We must therefore not be harsh in our censures of those that are afflicted more than their neighbors, as Job's friends were in their censures of him, lest we condemn the generation of the righteous. You know, Job suffered much, but he was not suffering because of his wickedness. So this, 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 it's a false idea to think that because some people suffer more than others, that they must be more wicked than others. That's just not true. But the second thing, more importantly, we need to see here, all men... All people need to repent. You know, Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. And he mentions, he says that twice, verse 5 again, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You see, all, all men, all people need to repent. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, 
It says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now this is, a, of course, a familiar passage, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves of it. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Now he's talking about the Jews who had great privileges. To them was given the oracles of the God, and yet they crucified the Lord. And, and so Paul asked this question, and he's writing to the churches at Rome. He says, are, so are we better than they? And the answer is no, in no wise. We have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, there's none righteous. Not one. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. You know, you can look down your righteous nose at wicked sinners, but there you were, or there you are, but by the grace of God. It's not because of you. And you may look at a little child and say, oh, they're so sweet and they're so innocent. They're a wicked sinner in the sight of God. They go astray from the womb speaking lies. You see, all men need to repent. You know, John chapter 3, you have Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, among the Pharisees, coming to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Ye, and he starts in the voice when he used the word. He, first he said, "I say unto thee, ye must." Then he said, "Ye must be born again." In other words, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, all of you must be born again. All of you need to repent. You know, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he called him good master, and Jesus asked him a question. Now, why did he ask him this question? Jesus said, "Why callest thou me good?" There's none good but God. Why are you calling me good? I believe that Jesus was searching out the man as to who he really believed Jesus was. Was he just a teacher? Or was he the Lord God as he claimed to be? See, you can't come to true under, you can't come 
to salvation until you have a true understanding of who Jesus is. A good teacher can't save you from your sins. Only the Lord God, the Savior, can save you from your sins. So you may be a good man or a good woman in the eyes of the world or a good young person, but before a holy and righteous God, you are found wanting. Wicked. A hell-deserving sinner. Just like everyone else. Just like the drunk in the gutter. Or the sodomite in the street. They're all sinners. Among whom we all had our conversation in time pass. We're James chapter 10, or James chapter 2 and verse 10. James 2 and verse 10. In James 2, the Lord is writing to the 12 tribes of scattered abroad, and he's talking about them showing respect to persons. And he tells them, look, you don't have the faith of Christ that Christ had um, because you show respect to persons. And what they were doing was, if there was a rich person who came in, they'd give him a prominent seat. And if there was a poor person who came in, they'd give him the lowest seat. So they were, showing, they were being partial in their judgments. And, and you get down to verse 9, it says, But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And verse 10, now I want you to notice this verse. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Let me give you a couple of illustrations about this. Years ago, I was still working with my father-in-law, I remember him and I, one evening, driving up along the Juniata River and stopping at this house on the right-hand side of the road. There were very few houses there, but I remember this, this, this very vividly. And we went in and talked with this man. For, we talked with him quite a while. He was a nice man, um, a good man. Uh, he said, you know, he, said he, you know, he minded his own business. He was good to his neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. And he was just a... Just, just a good old boy, you know. Although he wasn't that old. He was probably 35, 40 at the time. He was just a good guy. And his, his, his attitude was, I'm really not that bad. So why do I need to get saved? So I went to this verse, and I said, in our course of a conversation, he had been divorced and remarried. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. And so, so I went to this person and I said, You know, and I can't remember his name, I said, You can keep the whole law of God. I mean, you can go, we, I went through the Ten Commandments, you know, Thou shalt have no gods, and, you know, and, 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 and you honor your father and mother, and Thou shalt not kill, and, you know, of course, he never killed anybody, and, Thou shalt not bear false witness. But if you, if you disobey one of these commandments, which you already admitted you have, 
the judgment is the same. You're separated from God. Which means you're going to die and go to hell unless you repent. He didn't repent. Another instance, and this one was in Maine. One of the men and I was out visiting one evening and we went to this house. I began talking with this couple. And I asked the man, I said, uh, so uh, I can't remember exactly how I started the conversation, but, but he said he was saved. And I said, uh, he had prayed, he'd prayed and asked the Lord to save him. And I said, uh, um, but, but, and so I, I took him to, uh, I started talking about the commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I took him to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where it says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is. So he was saved, but he never went to church in his life. And the pastor that had been the pastor before me at the church had led him to the Lord. He was a Alex Anderson graduate. But anyway. Uh, and so uh, I asked him, I said, uh, so I went through the, started through the commandments. I said, so first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So have you always put God first in your life? And he said, yes. I said, no, wait a minute. You just told me you've never been to church in your life. But you're saying you always put God first in your life? He said yes. And his wife just about come out of her seat. I mean, you know, she came unglued. And she said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I said, I didn't say you did. But if you're a Christian, you'll live to obey God. There'll be some evidence in your life. You see, repentance brings forth fruit. Exodus, or Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So all men, all people need to repent. Then I want you to notice the third thing. The patience of the Lord with sinners. Luke chapter 13 again. Verses 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man that had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit in this fig tree and find none. Cut it down while it cometh it to ground. And he answered, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So we see here the patience of the Lord with, with sinners. The parable is obviously, it is, God is the, the Lord of the vineyard. He's the farmer, if you will. And he expects fruit from his vineyard. Now, the vineyard speaks of the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and God expects fruit. Fruit from his vineyard. You know, in the parable of the talent, in the parable of the pine, God expected fruit from that. You know, everyone that plants expects fruit, a harvest. 
you know, I planted some fig or some uh, fruit trees, some apple and and uh, uh, peach trees back in when we moved here back in 2006. And finally, in frustration, I cut them down because they were fruitless. And after somebody finally told me, look, this area is not a good area to grow fruit trees. So I finally gave up. No. You know, the Lord, see, the Lord expects fruit from those that are His. And again, Luke 3, 8, He says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. In Matthew seven twenty, Jesus said, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I know an apple tree when I see apples on it. Matthew Henry said, quote, This parable is intended to enforce that word of warning immediately going before, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except you be reformed, you will be ruined. As the barren tree, except it bring forth fruit, will be cut down. Unquote. The God of heaven requires and expects fruit from those that have a place in his vineyard. He has his eye upon those that enjoy the gospel to see whether they live up to it. He seeks evidences of their getting good by the means of grace they enjoy. Leaves will not serve. Crying, Lord, Lord, will not serve. Blossoms will not serve. Beginning well and promising fair. No, there must be fruit. There must be fruit. You see, God expects fruit. But we also see here, the Lord is long-suffering. In verses 7 through 9, Dead said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, on these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree. Now let me ask you, how long did Jesus minister to the children of Israel? Three and a half years. So three years, and then he says, uh, three years came seeking fruit in this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So the Lord ministered, of course, three years. And then he gave them another year. And he gives, the Lord in his, his, his long suffering and in his mercy, he gave special care. He taught them from their scriptures. He gave illustrations, the parables. He demonstrated his power, his authority, and his person by the miracles which he did. And yet, in the middle of that extra year, they crucified him. And he still extended his mercy, for he said, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. And you know what? After the resurrection, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see, God is long-suffering and merciful. He gives us time to repent. He, he extends special opportunities for us to repent. Paul, when he was in one of his cities, said this, 
speaking about the graciousness of the Lord, it says in Acts 13, 18, about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. You know, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, he said to the children of Israel, Turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Turn ye. See, the Lord is long-suffering. But we see a third thing here also, that the day of reckoning will come. Verse 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise Verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Verse 7, Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit in this fruit fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt Cut it down. The point is simply this. If you don't repent, you will perish. Now when the Lord speaks of perishing, he's talking about eternal damnation in the pits of hell in the lake of fire. And it is not in our power to determine our day of reckoning. These Galileans did not know before they went to Jerusalem at that time that they were, their lives were going to end. These, these, uh, those at the Tower of Siloam did not know that day that the tower was going to fall over and kill them. You see, it's not in our power to determine our day of reckoning. Our life is not in our hand. It's in His. And though God is a God of long-suffering and of mercy, He is also a God that is just in judgment. I remind you, the unfruitful children of Israel in the wilderness died in the wilderness. Spurgeon said, quote, There is a time for felling fruit, fruitless trees, and there is an appointed season for hewing down and casting into the fire the useless Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this a judgment. You see, you have an a divine appointment with God. And now is the opportunity to prepare for that appointment. We do not know that we have another day or another hour. And we who are living, who have eternal life, we need to be an encouragement. And we that have life and breath, if we have not repented, we need to not cumber the ground. You know, it's interesting, he says, why cumbereth it the ground? 
Matthew Henry said this, and I thought this was an interesting statement, quote, that this fig tree did not only bring not did not only not bring forth fruit, but it but did hurt. It cumbered the ground. It took up the room of a fruitful tree and was injurious to all about it. Note that those who do not good commonly do hurt by the influence of their bad example. They grieve and discourage those that are good. They harden and encourage those that are bad. And the mischief is greater and the ground more cumbered if it be high, large, spreading tree and if it be an old tree of long standing, unquote. Think about it. We high, large, long standing trees. Parents, grandparents, we can be an encouragement or stumbling blocks to the next generation by our conduct, by our attitudes for the Lord and His work. See, the day of reckoning will come. It's just a matter of when. And we don't know when. It's not in our power. But the Lord tells us, Nay, except ye repent. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We know not what shall be on the morrow. So the question is, have you repented? Remember, to repent means to have a complete change of attitude. A change of attitude. Change of mind, change of attitude, and a change of direction. Have you repented of your sin? Doesn't show.